Okay, we're in Numbers chapter 23 and 24. Um, it was, we're getting through it. We're going to be done before you know it. Um, but we continue this story of Balaam, the prophet for hire. Remember his talking donkey. And so we see what then he communicated for Balak, the guy who hired him. And Jackie's just going to read the tail end of chapter 24 for us and then pray. And then we'll get into it this morning and see what the Lord has for us. Good morning, Numbers 24, 10 25. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore now flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that I will speak. And now behold, I'm going to go to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And he took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eyes is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Then he looked on Amalek and took up his discourse and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. And he looked on the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Enduring is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned, and Asher takes you away captive. And he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from Kingdom and shall afflict Asher and Eber, and he too shall come to utter destruction. Then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went to his. Father, we thank you because your word is true. Yeah. Lord, we bless you because you are the almighty, powerful Lord, and Father, you can do anything. You are in the heavens, and you do as you please. So Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, to your word, your faithfulness, to your justice, your faithfulness to your holy name, Lord. And Father, we ask that you would help us to be those um, who worship you in spirit and truth. Father, not just um, claiming your word or proclaiming your word, Father, but those who hear your word and obey your word and follow it. Lord, we don't want to be those who obey out of fear, but because, Lord, we know you and we see you. And we have embraced your truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this and we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jackie. So the promises of God persist and point to something eternally good. The promise that God gives to his people 
will carry on, will persist. There's nothing that can come against it. But that promise is actually pointing to something phenomenal. And even as Jackie was reading it this morning, I'm like, ooh, I know who it's talking about. But we'll get there. Okay. So among the biggest letdowns of modern history, which I'm really surprised they haven't done like, the food that failed America and have an episode on this, right? You all watch the food that made America. It's a great show on History Channel. It's about all our fast food and why we're so fat. But anyway, just me. But the biggest letdown of modern history, in my opinion, is fruit striped gum. Right? All you millennials don't even know what it is, but that's okay. So this gum, do you know fruit striped gum? Okay, okay, good. You've been raised right. Okay, there must be some meme about it. Okay, the gum enters. This. Do you know about fruit striped gum, Gen Z? Try it, no, see, no, not at all. So, okay, good. So there's some, some generational disparity in here this morning. But this gum, fruit striped gum, which is a, yeah, amazing for its letdown. But it enters the scene like full of flavor, this burst of flavor, and that is all you get. Within like three chewing motions of your mouth, the flavor of the gum is totally gone and it's worthless at that point. So like when I was a kid, then I would just put in another piece and another piece. You just have this mouthful of fruit striped gum. And it's hilarious that it's a worthless gum. Like it's awful, but we still loved it for some reason. Like, oh yeah, give me, give me some of that fruit striped gum. We're, we're silly creatures. But I think a whole generation, my generation, Gen Xers, the best generation there is, is now we judge all chewing gum on its ability to have flavor that lasts because we were scarred traumatically by fruit stripe gum, right? The reality is that things that last are good to be treasured. Like we should hold on to things that persist, that are good for us. Stacy this week told me that she's pretty sure I have ADHD and that it works out in my, in, I've had like brain scans as a kid before there was an H in the D. It was just ADD, remember back in the day? And I don't, so don't listen to her. But she thinks I do. And she's pretty confident that it has worked out in my constant need for change, right? It changed the bags that I carry, all of my Bibles and technology in, the pulpits that I preach from, right? <laughs> I do. Some of you are like, yes, he does. The style of clothing that I prefer goes through changes. The random diets that I endeavor for three days on average, right? But I remind her the things that I stick with are the things that matter the most. Namely, her, right? (laughs) So, it's good. But as we've journeyed with Israel through their wilderness travels, there's been this like overriding persistence that has been carrying the story and the people to something that is exceedingly good. We, we saw a preview of it when they went into the land and had giant clusters of grapes and fruit and milk and honey that are flowing. And it's this lasting nature of the promise that we want to hold up before us today, that we might see it, cling to it, and trust in the one who gives the promise. The truth is that all through Numbers, the promise sticks. It is sure, and it maintains its flavor in the midst of disobedience, in the midst of fear, of pining for slavery over daily provision that the people have been given. And it's thick. This promise, and it's persistent, is thick in the mouth of those that are given voice by God. Namely here, Balaam. 
from the oracles of Balaam, we can take heart that first the promises of God persist and the promise points to something perfect. So just a little bit of context, if you haven't been following along with us, Balaam is this prophet for hire. He is a Gentile. He is actually from the region of the Euphrates far away. And along with his talking donkey, he and this donkey are being used by God to deliver a message of blessing where the message that they had hoped for, the person that encountered them or hired them hoped for cursing. These chapters in Numbers are unusual to us because they're given from this Gentile angle. We don't see Israel's perspective of this story, but it proves that God's promise is true. It persists and it proclaims his name in all the land. That all the nations would hear of this God who promises and blesses his people. And faced with war and with the fear-inducing numbers of Israel, Balak, the king of Moab, pays for cursing, but that's not what he gets. So we start with the promise of God persists. And we're going to AI again this week because I don't know how to draw this. So the prompt for this picture was fruit stripe gum that lasts forever. Yeah, fruity, colorful, right? Kiwi. I love kiwi. Do you guys like kiwi? Okay, do you take the skin off or do you eat the skin? Take it off? You're wrong. You should leave the skin on. It's fiber. It's fuzzy, yes. That's bad. (laughs) You guys, we got some discipleship to do around here. All right, the promise of God persists. Fruit striped gum doesn't, even if you tell AI to make it last forever, it will not. But before we get to this story, we want to start really long ago in a land not so far from Balaam's home with the call of God on another, on Abraham, that was then called Abram. We see in Genesis 12, Now the Lord, Yahweh, said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the Abrahamic covenant, the note that carries the songs of the Old Testament along. This is the promise to Abraham that is built upon with a land being set apart for God's glory, that the people would come. Those that were to be numerous to be a blessing would have a place in which to be a blessing to other nations. And throughout the history of Israel, that promise had been tested. Tested by the environments the people found themselves in, by external threats, by slavery, by idolatry, by disobedience. And now there's being tested by a conjurer, a magician, a prophet for hire, and a king wishing for the demise of Israel. But the promise persists. Balaam, the pagan soothsayer, has Balak build seven altars and sacrifice upon them seven rams, seven bulls, and he'll repeat this then three times in different places. But each time, it is a blessing that Israel receives instead of a curse. And Balaam, remember, can only speak what God 
tells him, and we see in chapter 23, verses 5 through 12, And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And he returned to him, and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside his burnt offering. And Balaam took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him. From the hills I behold him. Behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? It took you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, Must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Now, last week I made very clear that Balaam is not the hero, and he's still a prophet for hire, and he will experience death in coming chapters of the story of God's people. But this is the moment that I wish some pastors that say they speak for the Lord would actually abide by, that they would only speak what God has told them. Because no amount of sacrifice here, no amount of desire, no amount of effort or anything else will remove God's blessing from his people. So Balak can't pay for it. And we have to understand the sacrifices he's giving are, those are expensive, these altars that he's made. The cattle that he sacrificed, trying to appease God. And that's not a Hebrewic like, way of worship. That's just a pagan way of appeasing or making a God excited. And in this story, story, Balak tries all that he can. And he, even in these chapters, he'll move Balaam to other high places with different angles to view Israel, thinking that if only we see a smaller portion of this huge number of people, maybe God will then be pleased to curse them. This only leads then to words of his own destruction because he gets frustrated. He says that he's not going to pay Balaam. And then you hear what Jackie read for us this morning. It only leads to his destruction because the promise for God's people persists. In hindsight, right, as we look back historically, we see it in 10 chapters time. This generation will go into the land that is promised. They will conquer and they will be set apart for God. His word is true and it rules. But in the midst of it, at this moment, and in the midst of maybe our own wilderness journeys, the timing of the promise can make us anxious. And we, just like Balak, try for different angles. Maybe we put a little bit more juice in our own effort, or our own creativity, our behavior, or the energy of created things to get us where we hope to be. Or like Abraham, the childless promise receiver, holding on to the promise, but taking things in his own hands to produce an heir. Even for those of us in Christ, believers saved by grace, at times we lose sight of his provision and take things into our own hands. We make life about our own strategy, becoming so busy going after those things that we miss the blessing we're meant to experience. 
And even if we don't seek the modern equivalent of pagan divination to seek the solutions of our problems, we may still, in fact, look to created things and people as the ones from whom our blessing will actually come. If I can just get the approval of these people, if we just can fill all the seats in a place, if I can just have that one more mark on my resume, finally I will arrive. This text tells us that the Uh, clearly that the Lord alone has the power to bless and to curse. Because all of those other things, and even the things we look to for salvation, my behavior, my perfection, my ability to perform to some standard, they all, as idols, just let us down. One scholar says, they are all ultimately equally impotent to bless or to curse. Some seek their value in money and possessions, but wealth cannot make us genuinely worthwhile as persons, and its absence cannot rob us of our dignity. Others look to power for their validation, but power cannot fulfill us, and its loss cannot make our lives meaningless. Still others invest the approval of people with ultimate significance, but gaining the love of a particular person is not where our value lies, nor will we be destroyed if they are taken from us, however painful that loss may be. None of these created things can make or break us, even though we continually act as if they can. The blessing of the Lord does not depend on Israel. It is not dependent on us. It is the Lord who makes the promise persist. It is who he is. And Balaam will describe him in chapter 23. He says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I receive a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. Yahweh their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox, for there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Behold, a people as a lioness, it rises up and as as a lion, it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. He doesn't change his mind. God doesn't lie. And this truth is not just for Israel. This is for us too. Alan Fadling, uh, the guy that led this retreat, solitary retreat that Stacy and I and the kids went on, he talks of the Abrahamic covenant in one of his books. And he says, of course, I wanted to be blessed. We all do. But I also truly want to bless others. I want others to receive the good things from me and through me that I've received from a generous father. Most recently, though, I've realized I need to let myself be blessed. I've been resisting God's blessing because I'm focused on whether I deserve it. And that's the wrong question. God isn't assessing whether I deserve his generosity. He is simply generous. This is how God treats us. Blessing is rooted in him, not us. God would love nothing more than for you and me to open ourselves fully to all the ways he desires to be generous. And doesn't that sound inviting It's what he's presented to us. It's what Israel has been invited to all along. And it's what we are invited to in Jesus. 
The truth is, it unsettles Balak here. And just like Satan, unable to thwart the plans of the Lord, he begs Balaam just to stop talking. Just say nothing, say no more. The promise of God persists, saints. So hold on. Keep clinging to the promises that he has given you. He can be trusted. And these stories and so much more and so many of our lives prove that truth. And ultimately, it is the labor of Jesus that has secured the persisting promise for us. And this is the fun part. He's here. He's in Numbers 24. And this is the promise points to something perfect. The, the prompt for this picture is Jesus is stronger than fruit striped gum, which is really stupid. But there it is. <laughs> Don't make any graven images. I violated a covenant, but I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. So that's Jesus stronger than everything. Awful picture, but better than I could have drawn. But So as we read to begin our time together, Balak will have no more, right? He refuses to pay Balaam and tells him to blame it on God. Did you notice that part? Yahweh's kept you from this. Go ahead and blame him, not me, for being the bad guy. But not only was Balaam not able to curse Israel, he repeatedly blessed them at Balak's expense. I love this about God, right? I've told that, that fake story a lot. Do you remember that? There's a little old lady that has multiple she can't be that old if she has kids right so she has there's a story about a lady who has kids but has no money for food so she's at the window of her apartment crying out to the lord please jesus please help us whatever well one of her neighbors is like this evil atheist that just likes to prove to people that god does not exist so he hears this woman praying for food and he goes i'm gonna get her and he goes to the grocery store and he buys her like three bags of food and sets it on her stoop and knocks on the door and then steps back. She opens the door, sees the bags of food. I've told this before, right? And it's totally not true, but it, it proves a point, right? She sees it. She's like, thank you, Jesus. Like, hallelujah. You have granted my request. You've given me food. It's so great. And this atheist jumps out and says, aha, God does not exist. I gave you the food. And she looked at him and she raised her eyes to the Lord and said, Jesus, thank you so much. I asked for provision, and you made the devil provide it to me. <laughs> right? That's exactly what's happening here. It's at the expense of Balak and his resources. And when he finally ran out of patience with Balaam after three failed attempts, he tries to send him packing. He's like, will you just leave? Will you just go back to your people? And then Balaam proceeded to deliver yet another oracle free of charge. The guy that only speaks when you pay him said, I got one for free. For you, and it contained yet another blessing on Israel. And this brings us to Balaam's last oracle. Jackie read this, but I'm going to read it again. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man who, whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. Now I see him. Or I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, 
And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. I mean, this might be my favorite part of Numbers because that's talking about my Savior. And it's poignant for this moment in history. All these nations that stand against the people of promise are going to be crushed. But this vision has a very long view. To a star of Jacob, the forefather of the nation of Israel, Israel's king would come from Judah, suggesting that this prophecy finds the beginning of its fulfillment in David and its final fulfillment in the one announced by a star in Bethlehem. I love this. Charles Spurgeon, the old preacher, said, a star will come from Jacob. The prophecy may have some reference. I love it. He's like, it may have some reference to David. But that's not what is important. But we feel persuaded that the true design of the Holy Spirit is to set forth an emblem of our Lord Jesus Christ. All nature above as well as around us sets forth our Lord. All the flowers of the field and many of the beasts of the plain and now the orbs of heaven are turned into metaphors and symbols by which the glory of Jesus may be manifested to us. Where God takes such pains to teach, we ought to be at pains to learn. To see Jesus, an oracle fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus, the king who rules over all. John tells us in Revelation 22 that Jesus speaks. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. This is the one who wins victory, not by means of war, but by the sacrifices of his own life, of his blood, to provide promise to all who believe in him. The writer of Hebrews says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. As Paul would tell us in the letter to the Philippian church, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the star of Jacob. This is the king that comes to bring a kingdom that is blessed to bless others. And as sure as the promised land was, his words rule. They remain and persist for us. When pastor says the final oracle thus spans the entire sweep of human history. Nation after nation will rise to world domination and then fall to defeat. But when the messianic king arrives on the scene, no people other than the nation set apart will survive the final day of destruction. At the end of all things, when all human history has played out its course of changing fortunes, the Lord's people will be the only ones left standing. promise is perfect it's beautiful and it's eternally good you will be with him forever because of who he is because of what he said about you not anything that you've done or hoped to do 
And because that's true, we lean into it. Waiting while we work, hoping in the midst of the journey, rejoicing when we glimpse, just have pictures or glimpses of the promise played out in our lives. And when things seem to lose their flavor, we run back to the word and by his spirit, we cling to his promises again. People say, why do you go to church every week? And I say, because they pay me to. No. Because I lose my flavor. By like Tuesday. Like I'm not even that Christian. Like it's a couple days and I need the reminder of the truth of Christ. That his promise persists. That he keeps me. Friend, the world offers less than fruit stripe gum as fixes for our deepest longings. And they're all just fading and toxic. But Jesus is as an everlasting gobstop persisting, perfect, and for you. The promises of God persist and point to something eternally good. Friends, trust Jesus, trust his promise, and live. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. Their Lord, the Lord their God is with them. And the shout of a king is among them. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you are our king that is among us. The shout, the declaration of your finished work for us, of your grace for us. When we are so far off, even in our attempts at perfection and the living up to the standard before us. You call us friends. You give your life for us. And now you equip us by your spirit, to bring the truth of your grace everywhere we go. Lord, it's sweet, the truth of your persisting promise. May we be a people that cling to that truth, that hold on to you because of what you've done, and you can be trusted. Lord, make it so in such a way that others will see the hope that we have that they too would meet you, that they would experience your promise, experience you as eternally good. In Jesus' name, amen.